Um, tonight I'm going to talk about, um, pastor's been talking about simplify on Sundays. So tonight I'm going to talk about a basic essential, okay? Um, I, when he was praying, I just, you know, sometimes we're so focused on this year's word for 2020, you know, that God's going to open a new door and, um, and bring supernatural increase, and we all rejoice in that. Amen. But when Pastor was praying just now, he reminded us that God also said, wonders, marvels, wonders, extraordinary manifestations of the greatness of our God. Remember, in 2019 and beyond. Yeah. He added those two words, right? And beyond. Extraordinary. I just love that. God wants to do extraordinary things because he's great. He's great. I want to start out with a verse, First Chronicles 16, 19. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, nine. No, where am I? Don't tell me I had my very first verse off. That would just be crazy. Second Chronicles 16.9. Second Chronicles 16.9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. That should be a huge encouragement to us in this room. <laughs> God's eyes are looking back and forth, back and forth. So he can show himself strong for anyone whose heart is loyal to him. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, as I was thinking on this this week, um, I had I actually was talking to somebody about, I'm going to go to the Amplified Version now, Tessa, <laughs> and I'm going to look at a few verses in Psalms. Um, but I love the Amplified Version in some cases because it brings things out that you wouldn't notice otherwise. But in Psalm 105, we can turn there, Psalm 105, verse 3. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek and require the Lord as their indispensable necessity. Isn't that awesome? As their indispensable necessity. So tonight I told you I'm going to talk about a basic essential. To get marvels, wonders, and extraordinary manifestations, what do we need? God. That was easy, right? We have to have God. We have to require of him, right, as our indispensable necessity. He's the one thing we can't do without. Right. As Christians, he's the one thing we're not even supposed to do without, right. right? That's the whole reason we exist is because he's so great and we found it out, right? right? So we seek and require. And so throughout the Psalms, if you ever read the Psalms in the Amplified Version, and a lot of times when it says seek the Lord, it'll follow it up with these words, um, require him as necessity, as their indispensable necessity, a vital necessity of necessity require him. It's all about recognizing that we need him. We have to have him. I have to have him. If you were to read Psalm 105, as it goes on, I love this chapter because David just goes off and he's talking about God and he just talks about all the wonders God does. And he talks about God in these verses. He says the word he did, as in God did, over 29 times. Yeah. He did. He did. He did. His wondrous works. The works he did. The, his people. I mean, all glory to God. A recognition that God is everything. Amen. Is everything. In Psalm 14, verse 2, we'll look at this one in the Amplified. 
The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any who understood or dealt wisely and sought after God, inquiring for and of him and requiring him of vital necessity. Doesn't that sound like that Second Chronicles verse? You know, he's looking for anyone whose heart is loyal to him. Anyone. So anyone inquiring for and of him and requiring him of vital necessity. So I broke these words down just a little bit. Indispensable necessity means it can't be omitted. It cannot be spared. So God can't be omitted from anything in our lives, right? I mean, there's nothing that replaces him. He can't be spared. He's absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary. And in fact, the the dictionary said like air and water, right? I mean, it's almost like not worth living without him. I often ask myself, how do people live this life without God? I mean, I don't know how they do it. I mean, I love God. I have to have him, have to have him. When it says requiring him a vital necessity, that means it's necessary to life. Vital means it's necessary to life. In other words, you're not even living if you don't have God. I mean, you don't even know what life is until you have God. He's a vital, vital necessity. Jesus himself said, the father does the works. John 14, 10. This is Jesus, the son of God, born of God, with the seed of God, never sinned, standing in the midst of his disciples, saying, the father does the works. So even Jesus was saying, I can't do anything without God. It takes God. So all the manifestations, all the marvels, all the wonders still take God. They still t- I know this is basic, but sometimes we forget. So we have to have him. We have to have him. Do you know that if we do everything right in church, we can come in reverently. We can praise him gloriously. We can preach potently and powerfully, and we still need him. <laughs> None of that does any good if he doesn't show up. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we, the word will go forth, and it will get planted in hearts, but it's God. The word is God. That's it. Does that make sense? It still takes God. So nothing happens unless God, right? So we, but, you know, all these things that we do in church, you know, the preaching, the praising, the coming in reverently, all these make room for him. If you were here this past Sunday, that kept coming up. We make room for you. You know, we, we do. We make room for God because why come here without him? Right. This isn't the movie theater. This isn't your living room. This is the church of the living God. This is where he dwells, you know? The thing about it is your living room can be that way too, if you recognize it like that. But you know, it's about not, I'm going to get into this later, but it's about not being casual toward God. It's not being casual toward him. Why am I talking about this? Why am I talking about um, how we have to have Jesus that's pretty um, basic, Nikki, If you've been in church at all, you pretty much already know you need Jesus. That's why you're here, because you already accepted him, probably, right? Because the devil is so subtle. He is so subtle in what he does. In Genesis 2, if you look there, let's go to Genesis 2. Genesis 3, verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So right there, the devil just just told Eve that God lied. Because God said they would die, right? So the devil point blank calls God a liar and says, you will not surely die. So this is in direct contrast from what they heard from God. 
For God knows. And so he goes on and he says, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The devil's whole game, his end game, the name of his game is separation from God. He's trying to separate you from God. That's why I started out by telling you he's of necessity. You have to have him. Because the devil will always tell you, no, you don't. No, you don't have to have him. You can do this on your own. You can figure this out on your own. You know what to do. He's always going to say things like that. And he'll contradict God point blank. He will contradict God. He'll contradict what the pastor says. He'll contradict what your Christian elders say, what the prophet says, what the apostle of the house says. He will come to you and contradict it. Because Mark 4 tells us he comes immediately to steal the word. Because if he can steal the word, that means you parted with it. He separated you from it. So his game is always to separate you from God. And so that's what happened here. God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. Isn't that just like, looks good, right? It looks so good. It looks so right. And she bought it, right? So um, he's always going to come to steal the word. Now, pastor's been talking in Sundays about the value we have to place on the word, how important the word is. The word is life. It's life, it's health, it's spirit. It is those things. It doesn't just produce those things, it is those things. When you know the word is life, then you want the word in your life all the time. You want the word on every situation because you want every situation to be life, right? So you have to have a value for the word. A value for God is a value for his word because he cannot lie. Anything he says is definite. It's for sure. It's certain. So we can be persuaded, right, on anything he says. And that's how Abraham obtained the promise. In Romans 4, it says he was persuaded. He was persuaded by what God said. And when things lined up that that were contrary to what God said, he was persuaded that what God said was real, was more real than anything else. Sorry. And so we have to be concerned with the opposite. We have to make sure we're never unpersuadable. So when we hear a word up here or something for your life that sounds so good, but that doesn't ever happen to me, you have to be persuaded it's supposed to. It's going to be now that I know. So we have to make sure we're not unpersuadable. That word unpersuadable is the root word for the word disbelief. Because when you have disbelief, what you really are is you're unpersuaded. You're unpersuaded by what God said. You're unpersuaded by who God is. You don't believe it. It's disbelief, and disbelief will always cause disobedience. So the root of disobedience is disbelief, and the root of disbelief is unpersuaded. You could not be persuaded that what God meant, he meant. And we don't ever want to be those people. In the English language, we have a prefix called dis, D-I-S. Everyone ever heard, yeah? Like, um, how about like disgrace, right? Dishonor, distrust. That word dis means separation. Now let me read you a list of words. Disgrace, dishonor, distrust, disobedience, disunity, disbelief, discourage, disorder, discord, Disesteem, disrespect. All separation from those words. So disrespect, separation from respect. Discourage, separation from courage. 
Disorder, separation from order. When I was reading these words and when God was ministering these words to me, the Spirit of God said, I mean, it was all of a sudden like a realization. And he said, what's not there? This big list of words of all these dis words, what's not there? Well, every single one of those words is a separation from something good. There's no dis-strife, dis-envy, dis-fear. How come we don't have those words? Even in our English language, right? It's a separation from all things good. We recognize it. A separation from all things good. Yeah, wow. Wow. And it's like, right when I start thinking about these words, discomfort, dissatisfaction, discontent, all these dis words that are in our English language. And I started thinking about these and how it's a separation. Of course, immediately the, the verse 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. This passage comes to mind because one of them is, because it's kind of my, one of my favorite verses. God says, well, he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? Those, those don't go together, right? They're supposed to be separate. If you're righteous, then you shouldn't be involved in unrighteousness, right? That's the way it's supposed to go. Light doesn't have anything to do with darkness. Christ doesn't have anything to do with the devil, right? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? He says, I will, he says, for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people, which I love because it's not like we're just supposed to be his people. He promises, I'll be your God. I'll be your God. Those are big words. I'll be your God. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. So what does God talk about being separate from? He talks about being separate to him. Come out from that and be separated to God. Right? Be one with God. Be separated from anything that's not God. Right? And so I I started thinking about as we separate ourselves to God, we get all the good. Right? It just comes with it. We get comfort, courage, unity, order, grace, honor, function, all of it. But when we separate ourselves from God, that's when we get all the dis. Right? You could say we get all dis. We get all dis stuff. Right? And when we separate ourselves from God. And really we get dissed. Right? Yeah. We get, we get dissed. So we have to have a value for God and his word. We have to make sure our hearts are loyal to him and nothing the devil does separates us from him. See, that's the devil's game. If we would just understand his end game and once you go out of here, I'm not necessarily talking about you, but you probably know a lot of people out there. His end game is to separate you from God. So when tragedy strikes, what do people do? Blame God. Why? Because that's the devil's game. He is trying to separate them from God. That's the whole thing he's about. He doesn't want anyone ending up in heaven. Because he can't be there. So we have to be persuaded. You want basic theology? Let me give you basic theology. Good God, bad devil. If you just go back to that on any of your questions of why did this happen, good God, bad devil. Don't mix them up. Don't mix them up. He's a bad devil. That's why bad things happen. Period. And when you blame the right person, that's where the blame should fall. It's never, it's, you know what I'm saying? It's always the devil. He's the God of this world. He hates you. He hates me. He will never be good, and God will never be bad. So just get that out of your theology. 
If you have to come back to that basic, then come back to that basic. Because the devil will always try to separate you from God. Pastor's been talking about valuing the word, and he said something, I think it was a couple Sundays ago, that the world will always try to devalue the word. Remember him saying that? Well, the Bible calls this scoffing. So let me just tell you what these words mean. A scoffer is one that mocks, derides, or reproaches in the language of contempt. He's a scorner. Remember that verse he read, Psalm 1, that you don't sit in the sea of the scornful? You, you don't hang out with those people. Why? Because they will try to separate you from the word. They will try to devalue the word. So to scoff means to treat with insolent ridicule. Oh, you're a faith person. Mm. Hope that works for you. They ridicule you, right? They tell you it won't work. You know, pastor could stand up here or, or Dr. Savelle could stand up here and tell you what the vision is. You know, like the building, what we're going to do with the building. And then he could tell you what the building's going to look like. And you may disagree with what the building's going to look like. Well, pfft, nobody's going to come there. What was that? That's scoffing. That's scoffing. That's, deval- that's thinking your, your opinion is more important than the man of God's words. Or the vision that God's given the man of God. And so we have to be careful about this. Because it all comes to separate us from God. And if it separates us from God, then it separates us from what God can do for us. Because we separated ourselves. Not because God is mad, but because we're disallowing it now. So it means to manifest contempt. To scoff means to manifest contempt. That means you despise something because you consider it worthless. You're going to church twice today? Why? Because they consider it worthless. They consider it worthless. So they hate it, you know, so they, they laugh at you. It says that they will even uh, manifest contempt by derision, which means they'll laugh at you. Derision is laughing at you, ridiculing you. They scoff at religion and sacred things. Oh, and I love this part. I got these definitions, um, not only from the Strong's Concordance, but I went back to the Webster's 1828 dictionary. So great. And so this is what Webster said in the dictionary. To scoff at religion and sacred things is evidence of extreme weakness and folly, as well as of wickedness. To which I wrote, thank you, Mr. Webster. (laughs) I mean, just tell us the truth, right? Yeah. So a scorner, one who scoffs at religion, its ordinances and teachers, who makes a mock of sin. Have you ever heard someone say, it doesn't matter if you sin? They've been saying that for ages, that you'll go to hell. They've been saying that for ages that you'll be judged. I don't go to church. I'm fine. That's called scoffing. They make a mock of sin and the judgments and threatenings of God against sinners. Just be careful. Just be careful. Because one day there will be a day of judgment. There will be a day of judgment. It's reserved for one day. Thank you, Jesus. You know, and those of us in here hopefully will escape that. But there will be a judgment day of sin Right? And those who didn't, who scoffed at God's commandments. You know, Malachi gets on the church in Malachi 3, and God says through Malachi, Your words have been stout against me. And they say, What do you mean our words have been stout against you? And they said, And God says to them, You've said it's useless to serve God. What profit has it been? The wicked are doing great, and I'm not. 
There's one day reserved for judgment, and you will escape that. If nothing else in this life, is that not good enough? It is for me. (laughs) But thankfully, because of God, we have life every day. We can expect extraordinary manifestations of the greatness of our God. Why? Because he loves us. But even if that weren't the case, we're escaping judgment one day. So no matter what the wicked get here, this is the best they're ever going to get. That's sad. Think about it. Think about that. Isaiah 28:22 says, "Do not be mockers, lest your bonds be made strong." Because if you're mocking God, you're mocking the very thing that can help you, the very thing that can set you free. If you're mocking his word, what did the, what did Jesus say? It's your your word is truth, right? He said in John 17, and then he said, "The truth will set you free." So if you're mocking the word, That's the thing that will set you free. So if you're mocking the word, your bonds are going to be made stronger. Because what else can set you free? What else is there? Right. If you don't accept the truth, all that's left is the lie. Jude, Jude 17 and 18 says this. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. I want to just point this out because they're walking according to their own godly lusts, ungodly lusts. So they're not walking according to the word. So they've devalued the word and they're walking according to their ungodly lusts, lusts or desires, their own desires. They're walking according to what they want, what they think is right. They're sensual people, it says, which means sensual is about the senses. So it sounds good. It looks good, right? It tastes good. It's all about what's good to their senses, not necessarily what God says or what the word says. And that will end up causing divisions, not having the spirit, walking according to their own ungodly lusts. I want to bring up a scripture from Isaiah. Isaiah 3. I know I'm, I'm throwing a lot of scriptures at you guys tonight, but I just want you to hear what God has been saying to me. Isaiah 30, verse 1. The Lord is speaking, and he says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, who devise plans, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. They take counsel, but not of me. Remember how they were walking according to their own ungodly lusts? When you walk according to what you think is right and you don't take counsel of God, God said in verse 1, those are rebellious children. Rebellious children. They add sin to sin. It's like you do it your own way, so then you have to find, and it doesn't work, so then you have to find another way, and then another way. You know what I mean? It's like when you lie. You have to tell another one, and another one, and another one, right? Because the Bible says lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. Right? So if you don't do it right the first time and you don't repent, tendency is it's just going to lead to more lawlessness. You'll just get deeper and deeper in lawlessness. And that's not what God wants. He goes on in that chapter and he says, but you've not asked my advice. Like God's into us asking for advice. I like that. I like to know that, that I can go to him for advice. In verse 15, he says, he tries to tell them, in returning and rest, you will be saved. Just return to me and rest 
and you'll be saved, he says. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. (laughs) Isn't that horrible? God's saying, look, you can have quietness and confidence, but you just wouldn't do it. You just wouldn't do it. And so then it says, I think something even sadder in verse 18. Therefore, the Lord will wait. He's so patient. Therefore, the Lord will wait. It's like, I know I've done this in my life, scurried around, scurried around, thought through it, thought through it, thought of 50 different ways I could do it. Would that work? Would that work? Would that work? And you know how, and you're like, wear yourself out with your thinking and you're running around. And God's just sitting there waiting. When she asks me, I'm so ready to tell her. (laughs) what he's thinking. That he, yes, therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. Because it want, he wants to be gracious to you. And therefore, he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. See, God wants to do wonders for you, but he wants to do wonders for you. Right? For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are all those who wait for him. Did you hear that? Blessed are all those who wait for him. Sometimes I go to God for advice, and then I just don't wait. Like, God, are you going to talk to me now or later? God, I got to go. So is it, you know, we're not the ones waiting on him, but we'll be blessed. It's a promise right there in the word. We'll be blessed if we'll just wait for him. Just wait on him. In uh, chapter 31 of Isaiah, it says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Yeah, if you're looking for help in other places than God... Woe to you. That's not a good word. That's not something I want God saying to me. Woe to you, Nikki. Lord, what? No, I want to look to the Lord. He just wants me to look for him because why? He's my vital necessity. I require him in my life. I require him. He goes on to say the Egyptians. So he's talking about the Egyptians here in this passage in 31. And in verse 3, he says the Egyptians are men and not God like he gets so basic with you like these people are just men they don't know what i know they're not god but you keep going to them like i'm right here and i'm god right he says their horses are flesh and not spirit it's kind of like god's smack talk you know like they're men i'm god they're horses i'm spirit enough said right it's kind of like what he's saying In the Old Testament, 165 times, God says these words, I am the Lord. Sounds to me like he's trying to tell us something. 165 times, I am the Lord. In case you forgot, I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord. And we have to have him. We have to have him. I have to have him. He is my vital necessity. My vital necessity. Am I done? What time am I supposed to be done? (laughs) Um, Pastor was talking about being a house of prayer and a house of faith and a place of glory. And a people of influence. And I have that in my notes. So if you'll turn to 2 Chronicles 5. I've been reading through Chronicles this past month. Because God told me to, because, like, who else goes to Chronicles, right? Second Chronicles. I mean, if you're reading through, you know, you might. But God specifically told me to go there and read, so I did. 
And I was reading this chapter in 2 Chronicles 5, and this is when Solomon's building the temple. And the temple is built, and they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And it gets to the end, and let's look at verse 13. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. We want this to be a place of glory. We want his presence to just enter the room. To where we can't hardly even speak, just fall on our faces. Because we're in so awe of that presence that is everything we need. In that presence is everything pertaining to life. All of it. And that's what we want. And I was, as I was reading this, I just had pause when I read through that they were saying, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. You know, because it's not like we've never heard that before. I mean, we have songs that say those words. For he is good and his mercy endures forever. For he is good and his mercy endures forever. And I thought to myself, what were they, how were they saying that that brought the cloud in? And I just stopped and I just thought about what it's saying. He is good and his mercy endures forever. And I'll take you back to what I said earlier. Even if we came in reverently, sat quietly, did praise perfectly, preached powerfully, if God's not good to us, we're not entitled to his presence. There's no entitlement in the kingdom of God. The reason he comes, one, is because we want him. (laughs) We, We let him know he's our vital necessity, right? And number two, because he's merciful. Because let's face it, we're not good enough apart from him. It's only because of even what he did that we can even be in his presence. So he's so good. I think they were sitting there and they just had a revelation that they didn't even deserve him, but they knew they were going to get him. He's so good. Because his mercy endures forever. And because his mercy is forever, when I accept the sacrifice of his son, I will always be okay with him. As my heart is toward him, as I consider him my vital necessity, he, his heart will be always toward me. Always. Because his mercy endures forever. He is so, so good. And as I thought on this and I thought about what pastor's been talking about in Sunday's service, boy, on Sunday's service when we were doing praise and worship, I, I kept thinking about, you know, there's an old song that says, and as we worship, build a throne. And as we worship, build a throne. Come, Lord Jesus, take your place. And I sat on the front row and I just thought that song. Lord, and it says in Psalms 22, That he's enthroned in the praises of his people. Meaning he inhabits it. When we praise him, that word praise means to boast on God. When we talk about who he is and what he can do. Extraordinary manifestations of the greatness. Not only is he good, he's great. 
I say that all the time. <laughs> he's so good, but he's great. There's nothing he can't do. And as we praise him, he's enthroned in our praises. He comes and inhabits our praises. And then, Pastor, even now when he was praying, he was talking about, like, who's on the throne of your life? Is God on the throne of your life? Is he the one you're, is he the one you're talking about all the time? That, that's the reason for all the goodness in your life. You know? Do we really believe that? Do we believe his word? You know, we come and we come into corporate prayer and we, we pray great things. But if we don't believe what we're praying, it's really no good. It takes believing. It takes faith, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But faith is what moves mountains, right? So we have to believe that his word has to sit. He and his word have to sit enthroned on our life. They have to sit enthroned. We have to make sure that they, we reverence them. We reverence the word. He's good and his mercy endures forever. In Psalm 29, speaking about this enthroned word, God ministered this to me on Sunday sitting on the front row. See, pastor speaking and God speaking. If you come into a church and God speaks to you, God is there. God is here. He's here in this church. Psalm 29, 10 says, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood. <laughs> the Lord sits as king forever. In the Amplified, it says, the Lord sat as king over the deluge. The Lord still sits as king and forever. Well, what happened at the flood? It wiped out all evil, all wickedness, all corruption. The Lord was king over that. He's still king. He can still wipe out evil, wickedness, corruption. He's still God. He can still do it. I love in this church when we say, God is good. And all the time. That's his nature. Whoa! I love that. I love it. Because if we can just really get excited about that and not just act like it's something we say in church, you know? That's his nature. Wow. He's good all the time. Why? Because his mercy endures forever. That's his nature. Wow. Wow. We have to have this awe for God. We can't come into church and not have awe for God. Remember I told you about that word casual? When we, and I'll end with this, but on January 19th, that was the point of contact offering. I got up that morning and I was praying. Amen. And I was praying in the Holy Ghost over the service. And as I started praying in the Holy Ghost, in my mind, I was just thinking, oh my gosh, I'm praying in the Holy Spirit. And that means I'm praying the perfect will of the Father. And in my mind, I'm thinking this as I'm praying in tongues. And I was thinking, oh, I'm praying in tongues. I'm probably, probably praying over services in China and Russia and Istanbul. And I mean, every little place, you know, I was thinking, God can do anything because I'm praying, I'm praying his perfect will into the earth. And I just got like absorbed in that. Lord, you're, oh my gosh, this is great. Just praying in tongues, praying in tongues. And then all of a sudden the spirit said within me, this is so crazy. Look up the word casual in the Webster's 1828 dictionary. What, Lord? And I just sat there for a second. Lord, I was praying. So I grabbed the dictionary, and I brought up the word casual. And the word casual, what it originally means, is falling. 
the root word of the word casual is fall. So in Hebrew, we know, like for example, there's a word for praise, yada, but the root of that is yad, which means hand. So we know our hands are involved in praising God because whatever the root is always has to do with any word that comes from that root. The root of the word casual is falling, is fall. The reason I say this is because Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This was somebody who was next to God. Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 10, take heed if you think you stand, lest you fall. Right? So we can't ever get to the point where we get casual toward God or casual toward the things of God or casual for the word of God because he wants to do awesome and wonderful things, but he's awesome. He's awesome. And so we don't ever, ever, ever. And you know what? While I'm talking about all these words falling and casual and enthroned and praises, let me just remind you of the garden where we started. Eve was already like God. And the devil said, if you do this, God knows you'll be like God. But really he was trying to separate her from God, right? Well, Jesus came to restore you to that. And the Bible says you sit with him in heavenly places. So you're enthroned with him. So don't fall. And don't think yourself less than that. Casual about yourself will tell you that you're not like God. And you are like God. So you can't get casual toward God or who you are in God. Don't be casual. Don't fall from the place where God has put you. Amen.